We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. I'm joined in the studio this evening by well-known political and social commentator, Jerome Keating. Good to meet you again, Gavin. And on the telephone by ICRT's Central Taiwan correspondent, Donovan Smith. And good evening, Gavin. Tonight we'll be discussing more talk of a Tsai Xi meeting, a possible visit to China by a former head of the KMT, US Marines at the new AIT office, Kerwin Jur's chances in November's election, moves to shore up personal data protection, and rat panic on the MRT. Ooh-ah. And we'll begin, though, with the fallout from controversy stemming from the long-running dispute over the status of Guangzhou Min's election as president of the National Taiwan University. Well, it took another turn this week when a 13-member Control UN committee panel voted unanimously to impeach former Education Minister Wu Kun. Now, Wu was impeached on charges of violating the Public Functionary Service Act and the act of the recusal of public servants due to conflict of interest. And the government watchdog's decision comes some three months after it opened an investigation into allegations that Wu stole patents belonging to the National Donghua University and then used them to start a company. Now, the company in question, I'm going to butcher the name here, but Spiranthus Biotech was in fact formed in California in 2015 and the Control UN says that Wu knowingly violated the Public Functionary Service Act by investing in the company and of placing the university's patents under that company's name. Now, Wu also allegedly violated conflict of interest regulations by approving a special budget to cover the expenses he needed to apply for the patents to be registered and I believe they were, he was paying for them to be registered in China and the United States. Now, the KMT is demanding Premier William Lai apologised to the public for appointing U Education Minister and for failing to fully review his credibility to serve in such a post. Now, although U is denying the allegations against him, one could argue that the government brought the whole sorry case on itself by simply refusing to approve Guan's appointment in the first place after accusing the NTU of also failing to fully vet its elected candidate. So, Jerome, what a mess, and it seems to be getting even messier. It does, Gavin, and I think it points to the fact that the university system here is too much tied to the government, and this could be taken back to the old one-party state days, but universities, they're not supposed to be profit-making things for the presidents, and this is a question both with the... uh, wannabe president of Taida and the former president of National Donghua. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's absolutely correct. Uh, but in this particular case, I think the DPP really, to, to be blunt, they, they, they just uh, shot themselves in, in both <laughs> feet. Um, they... Uh, the you know as I've mentioned before, I think that the the whole thing with uh, with Guan and NTU is basically the is trench warfare. The 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 DPP was is trying to dislodge uh, entrenched KMT interests uh, at the nation's most most pre- prestigious uh, university, but they chose a candidate that. Uh, appears to be as at least as similarly flawed possibly not if not worse than the candidate put forward by NTU 
Now, NTU basically didn't follow procedures exactly properly. The, the national government used that as pretext, and there were some questions about his uh, ethical behavior. But they, the minister of education they put in that uh, executed the, the will of the DPP on this uh, came in with a similar and uh, strikingly similar uh, allegations of uh, ethical conflicts of interest. So it's, uh, it was clearly a very poor choice on the part of the DPP. And of course, Ooh was only in office for 41 days, Jerome, anyway. I mean, the, the, the shortest serving Minister of Education ever. Well, he does have a good record there. But again, the, the whole Ministry of Education, I think that really the whole system needs to be revamped, reevaluated. It has too much power in some ways and is too tied to the government it it again is stems from its past and it you know i i grew up in university systems in the US and i've served in them here and uh they're totally different usually the university should be separate from all politics but i mean do you think this could lead to obviously the cabinet is full of people Obviously, it's full of the cabinet. There we go. They're all ministers. <laughs> but, I mean, do you think this could open questions about other ministers that the Thai administration has put into office, Jerome? Uh, I wouldn't take it that far, no. the uh, This, to me, was just kind of almost like a tit for tat. You know, okay, you got your guy. We'll stop him down with this guy. The, so I'm, I don't see that. But I do, anyone that's been in the education system here knows that, there really needs to be some cleaning up with the Ministry of Education. Yes. No, I mean, I, I think that fundamentally that, yeah, yeah definitely Jerome's white, right. Um, I, but I think that essentially the DPP is using a lot of the levers of power that are left over from the KMT era to their own advantage. And in this particular case, it backfired on themselves. Um, now, with the control UN. Uh, it was a unanimous vote and slapped them down. Uh, you know, even the Pan Green Press has been kind of dubious on uh, the choice that they picked of Wu for uh, uh, for the education minister. It's it, it, it's pretty much all around embarrassing uh, to focus on the on, on the particular impeachment of Wu. Uh, for the DPP. I mean, obviously, Jerome dismissed it, but do you think that when the when the government now have to... Because, of course, there's still no education minister at all. There's yeah, an, no, an, I mean... An empty and, seat. Uh, they, they really did, did a very poor job of vetting uh, Wu as a candidate. Um, there, there were way too many clouds, and they bizarrely echo almost... Uh, it's almost a mirror image of all their complaints against Guan at NTU. It's It's... A very, very poor job of vetting. And do you think the government is now going to have to vet its ministers thoroughly? I, you would have thought they would have done that in the first place. I don't think that should have been uh, in question there in politics. You'd think they would have learned that by now. Um, I'd agree with Donovan. You know, they <laughs> vet them all. 
Anyway, what a mess, and I'm sure we'll be hearing more about that in the coming weeks. Now let's move on to some cross-strait news this week, and we'll begin with Mainland Affairs Council Minister Chen Ming Tong saying that his office is still looking to secure a meeting between President Tsai Ing-wen and China's President Xi Jinping, but that meeting must take place without preconditions. Now that statement came only days after Tsai Ing-wen told AFP in an interview that she believes other countries should join with Taiwan and stand up to China in an effort to protect the world from Beijing's plans for expansion. So, Jerome, do you think we should be holding our breath for such a meeting? Uh, that's a good way to put it, Gavin. The, uh, I support such a meeting. I don't support it with any preconditions. You know, that's always been the problem. China wants to say, well, let's have a meeting, but you agree that we win at the end. <laughs> so, you know, the... And how we got our man Lian Chan, uh, the man who lost the election twice, uh, he's going over there. They seem to meet with the losers. They like that precondition stuff. Yes, actually, I think that's a really funny way of putting it. Um, uh, I think Jerome's absolutely right there. The, uh, the thing about this, I think, is it's actually a brilliant political and diplomatic move on uh, Tsai's part. Uh, she knows it's never going to happen. Uh, China's laid down, and if you've been following the uh, Chinese press recently, the the vitriol that they're pouring out has been rapidly increasing. She's using the international, um, sort of the international surprise and shock at the uh, at the uh, uh, turn of events in Korea. Uh, where Trump and Kim went ahead without preconditions to totally radically, possibly radically change the diplomatic ballgame. So she's doing this using and riding kind of that wave of expectations and hope, but she knows full well that the Chinese government is never going to agree to it. You don't think they could call her bluff one day? Here's the thing, is she, they've already done it well in advance. They've, they've said that they won't even, they, won't, they don't want the government to communicate, period, full stop, at all, until she recognizes the so-called 92 consensus. And what about Lien Jan's trip, possibly, or reported trip next week? Well, you know, I, I, you know I'm always in favor of uh, retirees taking vacation time. Oh, and they, oh well, they're gonna, you're both going to agree on that one. I know you are. But, I mean, Jerome, didn't he? Lien Jen, obviously, he's met Xi Jinping before. Yeah, he's met, was about six times. I, that's, yes. that's, that's amazing to me. I'm more, you know, curious, why does she keep meeting with him? You know, this is a guy that lost twice. His son lost the mayor of Taipei. The family, in a way, has been an albatross on Taiwan politics for the KMT. I think the insiders of the KMT would see that, how it has that entitlement sense of the old days. But of course, because of course, current KMT chairman, Ujini, can't actually go to China. Uh, I guess not. So I, I guess maybe it's... No, he can't, yeah. And there's been reports that it could, it's sort of Lian Jian's visit, is Lian Jian doing it to support the current chairman of the KMT, or is Dan Jen doing it to support another faction within the KMT? I go with option two. I don't see Lian supporting Wu. You know, that's actually a good question. 
Um, I haven't seen anything at all that indicates that Wu is terribly enthusiastic. Um, there, there was a meeting uh, a little while ago which uh, Wu basically couldn't attend, and he sent other people. Uh, he did not send Lian Zhan. So Lian Zhan going uh, does appear uh, to not be officially sanctioned by the KMT or by Wu himself. I, I just want to add a point here, too, that... <laughs> Go back to 2016 when Hong Shu Chu was running for president on this whole join China bit, and the KMT themselves realized this was not selling, and yet, you know, and therefore they replaced her with Eric Chu, even though she won the primary legitimately. And now, why are they tolerating this? So I, I guess they can't stop it, but this is the split in them that really they cannot heal. Yeah, no, they fundamentally can't confront their their own past. That's that's uh, that's where they're having problems. Right, and also this week, the Mainland Affairs Council, it said a Chinese reporter can reapply for his entry permit. Now, this all stems from the Mainland Affairs Council a couple of weeks ago denying Chinese reporter Ye Ching Lin, who works for a Fujian-based China Southeastern Television Network, well, he was denied a re-entry permit to Taiwan following a report that he made about the Hualien earthquake. Now, he made that report in February, and apparently Ye posted on his Facebook page a claim that a Japanese rescue team refused to enter the disaster area out of fear of danger to themselves. Now, the government has squashed that and said simply, we, you know, they asked to come, we said we had enough people on the ground, we didn't need them. They said that Yeah made the story up, and there was also allegations that he made the story up solely to trigger a dispute with Japan. Now, of course, like I said, the Mainland Affairs Council banned his re-entry permit, but now they're saying that he can come back as long as he refrains from making up bogus stories. So, Donovan, I mean, do you think banning Chinese reporters is a good thing or a bit of a negative thing? Well, here's the part of the story that really jumped out at me it was actually none of that at all. It was that the uh, is that they the, their big complaint was that they were claiming that the Chinese journalist was being overly emotional on Facebook, and that they uh, so it wasn't even what the person you know what the journalist was doing as a reporter, or uh, you know, it was what the reporter was. Saying on Facebook, and also the context where China had been ramping up all the pressure when they denied the visa to this individual, and but they've repeatedly kicked, uh, you know, at the time. So there may have been high emotions, on, you know, on the local side here. But it, what was really striking is it just kept coming back to uh, it's it was this journalist behavior on. Of the personal Facebook page, and that's what's really striking about it, rather than anything professional. So the uh, you know, and then now they've said, okay, well, as long as this journalist is no longer um, overly emotional on Facebook, we'll reconsider allowing this journalist back in. Frankly, this just makes the the MAC look very unprofessional. Okay, the yeah, Facebook that that it's interesting. The guy was a grandstander on Facebook, I guess. The maybe I'm not sure who he's trying to impress back home, but uh, that is a factor how Facebook is becoming a like a way of venting for people, but 
uh, my mind on this still is that uh, I'm, of course, curious how we knew what he was writing on Facebook. That's interesting to me. Who was his friend or who was reading it? And the other point is that, you know, we got uh, so many reporters coming that can come from China that uh, uh, I'm, you know, we to say, okay, be a good boy, you can let you back in. That's kind of one way of doing it or just say, no, 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 no more of that stuff. You know, we got, we'll take someone else a little more, you know, professional on both sides. My question is, can you get Facebook in China? I thought Facebook was blocked in China. It is, but you know what's really quite bizarre about the whole thing? Is if you actually go to the People's Daily, the first thing that you do when you try and leave the page is it asks you to like their Facebook page, their Twitter feed, uh, and, uh, and other social media, which is all banned in China. But, I mean, aren't people meant to get emotional on Facebook, Jerome? Ah, uh, boy, dang, that's really a, I don't know, some people definitely do, and I guess you can unfriend them when they do, but... <laughs> The uh, some people just view Facebook as a way of talking to friends, so uh, that's a uh, that may be open to debate, Gavin. But banning people from a country for Facebook comments—it sounds a bit draconian to me. <laughs> well, it could be. Uh, I don't know. The uh, sounds like there was something more. I'd like to see what he'd said in his own report to China, but uh, yeah, okay. You know, the guy's a little bit of a grandstander. Okay. Yeah, no, I, it's, you know, there, there is a line, I think, that needs to be kept sort of between what people sort of rant about on Facebook and, you know, what they do in their professional life. And people need to, to draw a distinction between the two. And the local government here overreacted to one side of that and and clearly didn't, you know, take into account the other side. And, and really, they kind of, then they had to backtrack, and so they just made themselves look stupid, frankly. It was, it was very poorly handled by the Mainland Affairs Council. Right. Now, there was talk this week about the United States stationing marine security guards at the newly opened offices of the American Institute in Taiwan. Now, there's been talk of this here in Taiwan for a very long time, but it was finally picked up by CNN. And the US cable news network's report saw a swift response from China. Well, it's foreign ministry there in Beijing, with a spokesperson warning Washington to exercise caution if it wanted to avoid affecting bilateral ties and also reminding the United United States of the One China Policy, which in Beijing's eyes seeks to prevent the United States from having direct diplomatic or military exchanges with Taiwan. Now, no one in the US or Taiwan has actually come on the record and said this. There's People have asked the Pentagon to comment on it. They haven't said anything. People have asked the State Department to comment on it. They haven't said anything. I spoke to a former AIT head two weeks ago, and he said nobody wants to talk about it. So, Jerome, US Marines in Taiwan, good thing, bad thing, or are you indifferent to armed US soldiers on Taiwan? I'd like to see them there. I want to see those Marines in full-dress blues, Gavin. The, uh, no, I, I think it's a good way of making a statement, uh, if we can get a phone call to Trump, this is a, another thing. Uh, I'm I support it. I you know that's we're offended type of thing. I think it's a way of making a statement. So what? Yeah, no, I, I mean I completely agree with that. Um, what I find really quite interesting about the whole thing is that it's actually confirmed the you you know American uh, military you know state sanctioned military press 
has made it ab- absolutely clear that this, that it is uh, it is official that the State Department has requested the presence of Marines. There is no word back whether or not this was, this has been approved or will be approved. Um, according to reports, uh, generally speaking, it's between six and thirteen Marines are what are stationed at uh, overseas embassies. <clears throat> so now China, and again, I you know I read the Chinese press um, you know, every day. So uh, you know I've been watching this closely, and they are in conniptions about this. Um, now, of course, you know, uh, one, one can take this one of either of two ways. One is that China is clearly intimidated by six to 13 people, um, or that um, I'm going to guess slightly more likely uh, that they view that this is uh, a symbolic move toward upgrading Taiwan's ties toward being a full-on embassy, and that's really what's irking them. And Jerome, do you, th- do you think it is a move to make an embassy out of AIT, or do you think that's Beijing reading way too much into it? Uh, no, I think they're they're what they're reading into it is what the Taiwan Travel Act and everything has been leading up that it's time for to call say the emperor has no clothes and it's time to start giving Taiwan recognition. The U.S. has been undecided since 1945 when the World War II ended. That's a heck of a long time to be undecided on Taiwan's status. You know, let's let's finally do it. And Donovan, do you think if they do send the Marines, the AIT, the de facto embassy here, and the American government will make sure it stays very low key? Well, I, I expect they will, um, and I really hope they don't start giving them those training videos from back in the fifties and sixties uh, for U.S. U.S. troops coming here and, and how to hang out in the combat zone and not contract venereal diseases. What about the uniform, though? Plain clothes would be better than dress blues. I'm hoping the U.S. government goes straight for the full dress blues. That would definitely send a message. And that's exactly, as Jerome mentioned there, uh, you know, it would definitely send a strong message. And it would, it would be very much emperor without clothes, as Jerome said. Yeah, and I, I, I like, actually, now the Marine, knowing the Marines, they would probably take up with Courtney's statement that, see, it's just six to 12 of our men intimidated China. They'd love that. <laughs> Right, now we'll turn to local election news. And while incumbent Taipei Mayor Kerwin Zhe's re-election remains open to question, the mayor managed to surprise many this week when a far larger than expected number of people turned out to meet him at a book-signing event for his just-released Taipei, a proud city with progressive values. Now, while he may be unpopular, or so the media and two main political parties keep telling us, Kerr's book has now topped the bestseller list since its publication last weekend. Now, Jerome, you had an op-ed piece published in the Taipei Times this week in which you lay out your opinions as to why Kerr won't be re-elected. Now, that article, of course, didn't please everybody. And looking at the comments section, one person said that your argument was, and I quote, (coughs) wishful thinking from a hardcore Taiwan independence supporter, while another described you, as this is my favourite, as a frustrated political astrologer. So, as a frustrated political astrologer, why will Kerwinger not win re-election? Okay, Gavin, he's going down. You got to face it. I I like the man actually. I I, I enjoy Co. He's refreshing, 
But uh, it's always interesting to see these comments from the Facebook crowd, that uh, anonymous Facebook crowd. If you check them out, they have no friends. They're trolls in a way. But let's go back to Cole. You got to look at the numbers. Basically, I'm just looking at the numbers and the numbers there in my mind say no way he's going to get of 600,000 votes or so. The, he's an independent. Uh, he's disappointed people on both sides. And he's running against two party machines. Uh, it's not there. But, I mean, do you think it's because of his, his history as Taipei mayor? Has he not done anything? Has he done too many things or not done enough things to be reelected? Well, even if he did a lot, uh, what hurt him on the DPP side was his statements in Shanghai and that's probably which you know crossed the line for the green camp the the blue camp of course they had run Sean Lien against him and uh, so I look at it just even you know if over 600,000 people voted for Sean Lien they're not going to switch around and vote for Cole Donovan all right, I, I'm actually going to, I'm sorry, Jerome, I'm definitely going to disagree with you, so I'm an anonymous Facebook troll, I think. Um, <laughs> the the numbers, I'm looking at the numbers, and uh, I, I, I'm looking at the numbers, and I think that actually this race is as close to lose. Um, now, as of a couple of weeks ago, the the average of recent polls had Ke at 37%, Ting at 31%, Yao at 18 and Undecideds at 14 Now, the the thing is, is that, you know, if, and if you look at the recent book signing, which um, Gavin just uh, referred to, the uh, Taipei Times head sign, uh, headline was, Ke book signing draws crowd of young people. Uh, and the article goes on to say that basically almost all young people showed up. Now, recently there was a poll released which showed, um, and I'm not making this up, that the percentage of voters in a recent poll uh, support uh, for the support for the different candidates had their support for Yao of the DPP, Pasumi Yao, at, uh, for people under 30 at literally 0%. Now, that is an absolutely remarkable number. In all the years I've looked at political polling, I've never seen somebody with 0% in a demographic in Taiwan. <clears throat> now, when I went through the numbers and I, po- I, I poured through them, I wrote up a whole nine-page report on it. And <clears throat> what, I, what I came up with and the arguments against, now, I disagree with Nathan Bado and Michael Turton on these numbers, uh, they came with very different numbers than I did. But what I did is I, I went through and I looked through the KMT DPP supporters. This is the hard floor for um, people who self-identify as KMT and DPP supporters. Those are That's the hard floor for uh, Ting and Yao uh, in terms of their vote count, uh, assuming that neither of them is in third place. So um, the KMT uh, supporters in recent polls, we come with 24.7 for the KMT and 20.4 for the DPP. Now, people who uh, align with allied parties, I put those as about half will support the KMT or the DPP, just 
sort of throwing out in those numbers, they're relatively small, but the PFP has already come out and said they're going to support Coenza um, flat out. So anybody who identifies himself as vaguely, quote, pan-blue or, quote, vaguely pan-green or align themselves with the smaller parties, almost in Taiwan, within Taiwan political circles, that often means that it's not so much that they are, particularly the ones who just simply identify as pan, blue, or green, it's not so much that they're saying, I'm going to, that it basically is saying, I absolutely refuse to vote for the big party on the other side of the political spectrum, period, but it doesn't mean so much that they like the people on their own side. Meaning they're saying, for example, I will vote for the KMT or a pan blue candidate because I hate the DPP or vice versa. Um, but it doesn't mean that they like their own political one. So if you work that down with the numbers that uh, and the rounding that I did, the KMT hardcore and the DPP hardcore come out at about 27 and 23 percent, which adds up to exactly 50 percent. Now, the interesting thing is, is that in party identification, 37%, which in recent polling is the exact same number that supports Ke as 37%, uh, are up neutral, non-party, non-partisan, and then there's 13 or kind of unknown shifts. So it's about 50-50 hardcore party tribal supporters and about 50% who are not. And there's a solid demographic, which, and I go into a lot of details in the report that I wrote, um, into why I think that actually Ke has a tribal support base of simply a pox on both your houses to the KMT and the DPP of about 25 to 35%. So he's got a pretty solid base. He's also been extremely well vetted. He's already made so many gaffes. It's, 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 it's funny. At this point, it's gone, pa- it's gone past not funny to just simply being humorous. Uh, so there's really not much that they can pull out of their hat to hit with anymore. Meanwhile, Ting and Yao, uh, both on the KMT and the DPP side, neither of these candidates have been very well vetted. Neither of them have been through the kind of pressure that undergoes a run for the 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 mayoral office in Taipei, they've yet to be pounded to the same degree, because in the past they haven't even run, gotten past their own party primaries. Ting couldn't even win re-election as a legislator, uh, and neither of them, by all accounts, even by partisan accounts on their own side, neither, neither nobody thinks that either of those candidates are particularly appealing, and they've yet to undergo the kind of pressure that they're going to go through for this race. So there you go, Jerome. Uh, I think I think Courtney's being a little too cerebral here. They, uh, uh, I don't trust the polls that much. I look to, you know, past patterns through all the elections, and I, I just can't see it. The, uh, I do agree the young like Co. As I said, I like kind of like Co. Uh, but a lot of the young live in New Taipei City. They don't live in Taipei. The uh, so see what happens in November. But, but Donovan, Donovan did have a good point there. The fact that I mean, Kerwinger he says a lot of daft things, and that's all he does. He hasn't been involved in any scandals. No, but he's not. He's, he's not affiliated to a party that gets involved in scandals. 
Okay, some of his people he's appointed have had to leave office for some strange reasons, but not major scandal reasons. So he's a pretty scandal-free mayor. Yeah, but that's not enough to win an election in Taipei. The uh, Taipei, to me, you look at past patterns. He's running against two-party machines. Uh, the you know they've still got their old core bases, and he's not. I don't see him getting. He only got eight hundred. Oh, and he got eight hundred. Don't say only got. That was a good majority. But all he has to lose, you know, is. Uh, he's got to get at least 600,000, and I don't see it. I, I absolutely see it. Um, I mean, in you know, again, recent polling has him at 37%. Uh, and the thing is, is that at 37%, he's still ahead of, uh, sorry, of Ting. Um, and the thing is that I find really quite, quite remarkable about that is that Ting is an, is an unknown to not even want to be known kind of candidate. He, and he's the only viable challenger here. So really, I think this is a, 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 you know, this is a breakdown between uh, the KMT and Kepi. Kepi's 37% in recent polling. Those are people who already know who he is. Those are people who have already been through all of his gaffes, all of his mistakes, all of his, you know, all of the silliness that surrounds him. And he's been through the ringer and been through the machine. Now, if Ting, uh, you know, if, if Ding Shouzhong comes out and runs this brilliant campaign and he's a massively compelling candidate and he wins over all the undecideds, well, then he's got it in the bag. But the thing is that so far, the, the guy can't even get out of the primaries, can't even win, win re-election in his own legislative district. So, I, you know, I, I don't see how he's going to do it. Now, Whoever comes, whoever's in third, and right now it's looking like that's Pasuma Yao. If Yao's in third, that basic 23%, that's a hardcore base for the DPP, if he's trailing well, in, well behind in, in third when we come November, those people, a lot of those people are going to break off and, and vote strategically. And they're going to have to decide, do they want to vote for the KMT? Keep in mind, these are DPP supporters. Are they going to vote for the KMT? Are they going to vote for Kopi? Or are they just going to stay home? And two of those three options basically are going to support Kopi. So I think that uh, Ke has a, a very strong chance of pulling well over 600,000. So what you're saying, Donovan, is the KMT and the DPP better hope there's some very good things on television come voting day. Well, I mean, up to this point, the fact of the matter is, and this is why I think that a lot of young people have been coming out and supporting Kopi on this, is the pan-green press and the pan-blue press are just pounding on Ke. And they're doing it because they, he is an exit, you know, what he represents and a lot of the, a lot of the trends, if you look throughout the country. And again, I refer to the pox on both of your houses uh, voting block which is growing bigger and bigger and bigger. Party identification has dropped to an all-time low and is continuing to drop. There is a widespread sense throughout the country of literally a pox on both your houses. People are fed up with the pan-green and pan-blue side, and they're fed up with the pan-blue and pan-green media, and they're, and so and people like him, independents, and all of this represent an existential threat. So they're going to throw everything and the kitchen sink uh, to try and bring Kuh down. 
And moving on to something completely different now, the National Development Council this week announced the establishment of a centralised office responsible for coordinating personal data protection. Now, of course, talking of personal data protection all comes as the world is talking of personal data protection and people are using silly things on their telephones and their computers to download all sorts of information about themselves and send it somewhere else. Now, according to the council, the office will be in charge of personal data protection and it plans to seek an adequacy decision from the European Union based on the EU's general data protection regulations. Now, that regulation outlines a strict personal data protection legal framework and regulates the processing by individuals, companies or organisations of personal data relating to individuals within the European Union. Now, National Development Council head Chen Mei-ling visited the EU at the end of May to discuss Taiwan's willingness to seek the decision and she says the office will hold additional talks with the EU after it releases a report on the assessment of Taiwan's needs for the adequacy decision. Now, previously, interestingly enough, no single body here in Taiwan was responsible for the management of personal data protection, which of course resulted in problems related to inter-ministry coordination. And luckily enough, there's been no major hacks. Of course, other places have been hacked. A travel agency recently got hacked and lots of personal information was taken out then. But Jerome, do you think they've, they've, they've moving towards the European Union's data protection laws rather than the one that exist in America? Uh, I think it's a good idea, first of all, and I have no problems with moving towards the EU. The uh, I right now find the Trump administration too flip-flopping, in my mind, to link with them only. So I, I think we should take all the links, but it's a matter here of just getting compliance recognition. That's the key. And that we get recognized that we are in compliance by the EU. So that's a good thing. And uh, if we can get recognized by compliance with the U.S., okay, also that. But, you know, I support, I support the move. Uh, well, the, the move here is, is, is actually set out explicitly to comply with uh, EU standards. Um, the U.S. doesn't have any standards uh, and isn't, isn't asking or requiring any um, uh, he isn't requiring anybody to, to meet any particular standards. So, uh, but the EU standards essentially, in theory, they only apply inside the EU. But if you do any kind of internet business with anybody inside the EU, then essentially the the EU is requiring that you meet those standards. Um, so the question really is: is will Taiwan's efforts be recognized by the EU? Uh, I'm a little bit unclear here, and I'm not sure if anybody's quite clear, is can the EU uh, explicitly uh, support uh, Taiwan, uh, you know, will they explicitly come out and say, yes, Taiwan meets the standards? Will they, I'm not really sure how that's going to work. I mean, what about data protection laws generally, Donovan? Do you think it's about time Taiwan had a centralized agency to deal with issues related to personal data protection? I think it's pretty complicated. Um, I, I have a much stronger feeling in the local libel laws uh, related to what people post on Facebook than I do the the data protection because the the data protection a lot of it depends on uh, whether or not people have clicked on whether or not they agree on uh, sharing things or not. Uh, but generally speaking, yes. The and to me again, I say you know. You get recognition for compliance and anything you want. The more recognition you get, the better we stand. 
I don't think China could ever get compliance recognition. So this would be a nice distinction we could bring out. You know, hey, we comply, China does not. What does that say? That's an excellent point, uh, considering that the government basically is now moved to control all data, all personal data, and own all of it, and uh, you have to share it with the government. So, yeah. Anyway, before we go today, a rat caused public panic this Wednesday when it boarded an MRT train on Taipei's Red Line. Now, two people suffered minor injuries after some 100 passengers rushed off the train to get out at the Da'an station. Photographs of the aftermath of the incident showed discarded bags, shoes and personal belongings scattered throughout the train's carriages. There were also spilt drinks on the floor, which, considering you can't take beverages on the trains in the first place, I personally found it to be a bit of an oddity. Now, the train the rat opted to hop on was carrying some 700 passengers when the incident occurred, and the MRT operating company says the rat was seen boarding the train at Da'an Forest Park Station on Shinny Road, and that surveillance footage of the incident showed the wily rat leaving the train, along with all the panicked passengers at the Da'an Station, which is about three blocks down the road. Now, comments by some of the people who fled the carriages in panic say they believe there was an attacker on the train targeting passengers. So obviously, if there was an attacker on the train, not in, in a way, it's a humorous story, Jerome. But in a way, it's not a humorous story. True. That's the uh, and the initial people that saw the rat should have pan- should not have panicked. You see a rat, you stomp your foot. He's going to run. Uh, but I think the panic came when people remembered that knife attack on the MRT, and when they saw a crowd rushing. From the other carriage, they you know would think there's murder going on. So this is it'd be interesting to talk to some of the people who were involved. I don't know if they'd want to really talk about it, but uh, uh, overblown reaction. You know, a shame it happened. Really. Yeah, you know, I mean, the 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 thing that's a little bit tricky though. Uh, I mean, if you put down stamp down your foot, the problem is because it's such a small enclosed space is that if you put your foot down, the rat will run toward other people, and if they put their foot down, the rat's going to run back. Um, and uh, the fact that the rat was so bold as to enter the train uh, also brings to mind the potential threat that, the, that it was infected with rabies. Um, generally speaking, uh, animals don't and aren't so bold as to enter you know, a crowded uh area full of people uh, unless they're either very confused or they have rabies. Um, And, of course, people, generally speaking, are afraid of, you know, rats biting them or getting too close to them for disease and, you know, sanitary reasons. So if if somebody does stamp the foot down, the rat runs towards some other people, they stamp it. So the rat could be running back and forth. So that could create a situation and if it was a you know it sounds like this was fairly full uh mrt it gets confusing as to who does what and goes where including the rat of course if you don't happen to live in taiwan uh, the reason we're talking about this is because the mrt here is incredibly clean it is gavin Uh, i've seen rats on the street i haven't seen them in the mrt so, Donovan, you're going to get an MRT soon down there. Maybe Mr. Linda Mayor should pay attention to this issue. Uh, well, the the MRT down here uh, that's about to launch is elevated. 
uh, which reduces the chance that there's going to be rats. Um, however, uh, the mayor down here has signed on to the MRT, uh, that's the green line, has signed on to the MRT blue line, um, The about two-thirds of which will be underground. So, yes, I think the mayor needs to pay careful attention to that. Yes, anyway, that's where we'll leave it here this week, here on Taiwan This Week, and I've been joined in the studio today by Jerome Keating. Thank you, Gavin. And on the telephone by Donovan Smith. And good evening. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcasts on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.